0: Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. It's the regular Monday night, Against the Stream meditation class. Anybody here for the first time tonight? (coughs) Welcome to all of you. Anybody zooming in for the first time tonight? Welcome to you as well. One of of my motivations for teaching meditation classes is um, to help people develop community, what we call in Buddhism, Sangha. Against the stream, it's part of our mission to... Have a place where not only can we practice Buddhism together, where you can come to learn, have some meditation instructions, but to have a a home for our community, whether that's the Zoom room and the online community or the in person Sangha. And uh, it can be, it's so important to develop friendships and relationships and connections with other people who are on the path, on the middle path, the eightfold path. And it can be so hard to meet people at meditation centers, meditation groups, my experience, especially when you're coming and you're doing a silent meditation and the teacher's doing all the talking, maybe somebody asks a question. But so for a long time, I've, I've always tried to find ways to get you to connect and meet each other. So I start the class with um, asking you to talk to some people in the room that you don't know yet in service of mindful speaking and mindful listening and and connecting and starting to, if you come regularly, whether you're online or you're in person, you start to see the same people, you start to get thrown into the same breakout rooms with people you've talked to before, you start to make connections. The topic tonight is about joy and uh, I'm gonna talk both about our own relationship to joy, our own relationship to pleasure and happiness and and our relationship to other people's joy, pleasure, happiness, our human mind's tendency towards comparing and envy and jealousy and suffering about other people's happiness. You ever do that? You ever have a real good suffer at someone else's, fuck them. Happiness, how dare they? I'm going to talk about that tonight. I'll give a brief, I'll talk about this more later, um, but I'll give a brief, you know, there's one teaching that I'm aware of that uh, the Buddha teaches that there's four kinds of happiness. Um, Four kinds of joy, we could say. Uh, And one is the joy of material things which doesn't sound very Buddhist, right? We're like, we're non-materialist, renunciate, non-attached Buddhists. But he puts it in there. He says, yeah, you, you like your stuff, don't you? Gives you a little bit of happiness. And so you can admit that and think about like, oh, yeah, I have a whole bunch of stuff that gives me a little bit of happiness, at least temporarily, at least when it's new. <laughs> when it's novel, I really like it. And it loses its after a while, but there's some temporary kind of happiness in material things likewise with sense pleasures like we you know a really delicious experience temporary like i'm really happy with this meal with this conversation with this sensual experience sexual sensual uh you know being at the beach feels so good the sensation of the sun the ocean and it's just right being in the mountains in the shade and it's just right, sensual, physically pleasant experience. On some level, these are the kind of lower levels of happiness Um, and as a source of true contentment, they're a dead end, materialism and sensuality. It's a dead end if that's the sole source of our seeking happiness, which I think is what most of humanity is doing. Wouldn't you agree? looking for happiness just in sense pleasures and just in material things. So the Buddha goes on to say, kind of a higher level of happiness is a happiness of debtlessness. Not owing anybody anything. And he's talking practically, I believe, both financially. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced paying off your debt. Sometimes being in debt is a little bit like that experience of, you know, when you're in a room and you're not even really aware of the tension in your body because the refrigerator's buzzing or the air conditioning is on. And then the air conditioning goes off or the refrigerator stops buzzing and your shoulders just go, oh, I wasn't even aware of the tension that that was creating until it went away and there was a deeper level of relaxation. Sometimes debt is like that. I'm so used to being in debt, I and mean, you know, especially in the West, like this debt culture. My student loans, my mortgage, my credit cards, my car payment, whatever it is. Think of the list of your debts, <laughs> and how even if you can pay your debts, still stressful to be like, "Fuck, I owe all this money, and I've all of this monthly burden. I got to pay this, and I got to pay that." And if you Get yourself to a place and part of the goal. And I I love that Buddha in some ways was so practical, financially minded, just being like, yeah, it feels really good to not be in debt. One of the things like if you want to become a nun, you say, you know what? Fuck the world. I'm going to go to the monastery. I'm going to become a monk. In order to go into most monastic traditions, you have to be free from debt. You can't go in and be like, I fuck my student loans, I'm going to the monastery. In order, especially in, in the tradition that I'm most closely aligned with in the Theravada, you have to prove I don't have any debt in order to go in so that your debt doesn't become a burden to the monastery, to the lineage. They don't track you down <laughs> and that you're not sort of entering into this holy life of renunciation with dishonesty and not having paid off your loans your your debts i think that also the debtlessness i might be ruining my whole dharma talk right now but i'm gonna i'm on a roll so i'm gonna keep going (laughs) some of it's financial i think maybe primarily uh, that teaching was about the freedom the happiness of, of not owing the happiness of living a life uh, free from financial burden, living a life, whether that's a monastic life where it's like, I don't know anybody anything because I don't own anything, or a life of living within our means so that we're not uh, stressed by debt. The 2600 year ago uh, financial system, much different than the financial system we live in now, but still. The second level that I always reflect on about debtlessness is around forgiveness and around amends and around um, the debt of having caused harm that we haven't uh, taken full responsibility for and made amends for. Or maybe even debts of gratitude. You ever have somebody leave your life die or lose contact and have some kind of awareness of like man i really wish i would have expressed my gratitude more than i did like i owe a debt of gratitude to that person and i i regret not having been uh more um verbal about it more clear about it more communicative There's this practice called A Year to Live that my father created and I've led through against the stream and uh, in the past. I'm in recovery. A lot of us are in recovery. We, have, we put a lot of focus in recovery on making amends, cleaning up the wreckage of your past, freeing yourself from that debt of I owe this person uh, an amends, an apology, money, <laughs> you know, something. So we put a lot of, in, in recovery, We put a lot of emphasis on that. So this practice came out, I think in 1997, I'm like, I've already done my ninth step, I've made my amends, I've done that in my life. But he put this other focus, he said, if you're gonna die in a year, you had a year to live, how could you die with, uh, without any unfinished, he called it unfinished business. And he put an emphasis on forgiveness and amends but he also put an emphasis on who do you need to thank before you die? If you go back through your life, not just who did you hurt, <laughs> not just who did you do you owe amends to, but who, when you think about your childhood, are the people who were kind to you, It'd be skillful to reach out to and say, you know, thank you. That, that kind school teacher or that kind friend or that kind friend's parents who were the safe you know, the refuge, you know, like I could go to my friend's house when my house wasn't safe. And, and making those debts of appreciation, expressing it. Thank you. The fourth and uh, maybe highest uh, form of happiness um, is said to be the happiness of blamelessness of living our life with such integrity, having made all of the amends, having made all of the appreciations, having cleaned up any unskillfulness of the past and coming into uh, a life of living by the five precepts, not killing, not lying, not stealing, not misusing our sexual energy in a way that causes harm to others, free from intoxication, living ethical, blameless life. Blameless in the eyes of the wise. In the eyes of the wise is important because even if you live incredibly ethically with perfect integrity, some people will still talk shit about you. (laughs) Criticism is unavoidable. The fully enlightened Buddha Constantly criticized by people in his culture, even though he was living with full integrity, people judged him, blamed him, didn't like that he was a non-theist, didn't like that he wasn't a you know, believer in their Hindu caste system and sexism and racism. And, you know, being ethical and being awake is a threat to people who are living their life in greed and hatred and delusion. And so you might get a lot of judgment, a lot of blame, but blameless in living in harmony with the Dharma, with the truth. So thinking about these four types, the happiness of material things. Think about the stuff you like. Man, I like my stuff. I. Harlan was visiting me earlier and I opened my garage and I was like, all my stuff, got my motorcycle and my hot rod and my material stuff. I like it. Shit's fucking cool. It's Not worth clinging to and suffering about, but the truth is we like our stuff. You know, most, most of us, like you get your, you collect your stuff that you like, your bicycles and your skateboards, surfboards and your shoes. I don't know, what do you like? your clothing, your records, your computers, your, I love my iPhone, it's so fucking cool. And your technology. I don't know, I don't know what you love. I like things that go fast. Think about the sense pleasures that you really enjoy. What's your favorite sensation? And think about where you're at with debt. You know, we live in this weird culture where you kind of have to be in debt, and you know the kind of people will be like, "It's actually, you know, if you have the money." Don't spend it, like borrow against it. (laughs) It's just not smarts to buy things outright. It's much better to be in debt. Just sort of the culture that we're in. Like, Don't go spend all of your money on the house, get a mortgage. And the happiness of blamelessness. Thinking about where you're at with the process, and I hope you're in the process. And if you're not, I encourage you to start now. The process of looking at your life and seeing, um, you know, where there's debt for amends and for appreciation, and and uh, looking at blamelessness and you know how much integrity you're living in, in with ethics. How ethical are you being? How honest? How? Um, how generous, how kind, and that that's on the the radar. I'm trying to be more and more blameless, more and more ethical, more and more wise with how I show up in every aspect of my life. Because I want that happiness of nothing to hide and nothing to feel guilty about because I'm not doing anything wrong. I don't have any guilt of dishonesty. So find some um, people to connect with at home. I'll put you in the breakout rooms for a few minutes. Let's see, where is it? And uh, talk to each other, introduce yourself and say, yeah, I'm working on this happiness, these four levels, blameless, uh, debtless, my material and sensual experiences of happiness. And we'll talk more about it uh, afterwards. But go ahead and and form some small groups, turn to some people, talk to some people you don't know yet. At home, breakout rooms are coming. The obvious problem with the first two kinds of happiness we experience, the material and the sensual, is the truth of impermanence that no matter how pleasant the experience is, it's not going to last. It's impermanent. The material things don't last, no matter uh, how well we take care of them. Eventually they break, (laughs) get old, get dirty, get scratched, get whatever it is. So much of our human suffering uh, is created, as the Buddha points out, the second noble truth, the cause of our unhappiness and existence, our suffering, is the repetitive craving and clinging, clinging to impermanent things, clinging to impermanent experiences, craving for experience to be more pleasant than it is. We spend most of our time, I think, I spend most of my time talking about suffering. And and even now, I want to talk about joy, but we had come right back to how we suffer about joy. Even the pleasant things, even happiness becomes a source of suffering when we cling to it, when we get attached, when we... And not that we do that on purpose, but it's just part of the human... Um, reality craving for pleasure clinging to pleasure and i you know on, on some level the goal of life i think you know i mean according to the buddha the goal of life is to end suffering the third noble truth this is the goal this is what we're here to do that it's possible through our own efforts to end suffering i could reframe that and say to be happy To have a life where you're you're not suffering, but you're actually have a sense of happiness and joy and and satisfaction that includes unpleasant experiences and includes not fucking up the pleasant experiences through taking them hostage. And not only, and and this is where the practice tonight is, is expanding to, not only freeing ourselves from suffering about our own relationship to pleasure and our own impermanent uh, experiences that we suffer about, that we cling to, that we get addicted to, but also our relationship to other people's happiness. if you reflect on it, like how much of your, I said it earlier, Uh, This very natural human experience of jealousy in someone else's. You can even do it in spiritual circles. Fucking jealous. That person gets to go on retreat. Fucking jealous about, you know, like that person, their posture. They just, they look so comfortable. Their legs crossed. Bastard. Bastard. I hate the way that guy looks so comfortable sitting there you know or they look so peaceful jealous or they're like oh man the uh, i wish i wish i would have started meditating earlier in my life fucking noah's been doing it see was 17 <laughs> asshole i didn't start till i was 30 40 50 just the way that the mind compares and craves and suffers at other people rather than, you know, of course, we all want to think like, no, I'm really happy for you. Good for you. You get to go on lots of retreats. Good for you. You have dedicated your life's energy to training your heart and your mind. I'm happy for you. So both around um, or debtlessness. How about that? Jealousy. Like, what do you mean you don't have any debt? Fuck you. I got lots of debt. Fucking rich kid, somebody paid for your school, huh? I had to fucking have loans. Hate you. I hate people who don't have debt. The mind is all by itself does these kind of judging, comparing, envy, jealousy, suffering we suffer at rather than, and the Buddha said, this is part of his experience of awakening. He said, when I woke up, I no longer experienced jealousy. I no longer, my mind might still do some comparing and stuff. I just didn't believe it anymore. He said, my, my heart radiated appreciation, empathetic connection with the happiness of others, rather than that self-centered When you're successful, I feel threatened by it. When you're happy, I feel threatened by it because I'm so self-absorbed. When we free ourselves from that misidentification with the ego self, the mind, then the the open heart that just says, I'm incredibly, uh, I take pleasure in your happiness. When you're happy, I empathize with it. I connect to it. I enjoy it with you. So rather than waiting for our um, enlightenment, our awakening, we can train the mind to appreciate non-attached appreciation. The goal: non-attached appreciation towards our own experience when it's pleasant. Non-attached appreciation towards the pleasant, material, sensual, maybe even you know, towards the debtlessness. Don't get too attached to being. Free from debt, but appreciate it. And likewise, uh, training the mind to appreciate and empathize and and enjoy the happiness of others, and to wish for that. To there's these neuro pathways. I was listening to this thing recently, and I was talking about how the mind, you know, just like what I'm always talking about, when we're always talking about how the mind, the untrained mind has these tendencies. Envy and jealousy are one of the tendencies. And that there's, it's like um, all by itself, the mind will compare and crave and not your fault. It's just what the mind does. But that with training, with repetition, like we're doing in meditation, you create new, new neural pathways. And that where, say, the suffering of self-centered jealousy and envy is a highway, two-lane road in your brain that's just there. With meditation, you can create a freeway of appreciation. You can train your mind by repeating over and over so that it becomes the mind's habit. I wish for your happiness. I wish for your well-being. I celebrate your successes rather than feel threatened by them. And that this is something that we can and are, what we're doing in meditation is training our minds rather than waiting for the enlightened hearts to just radiate appreciation. In the meantime, we meditate. (laughs) And meditation creates healthy mind habits. Like appreciation. Talk more about this after, but let's sit, let's train the mind. Sitting upright, relaxed. Taking a moment to release all of the unnecessary tension. Settling into the stillness. Softening the belly, the chest, the jaw. Feeling the sensations of the breath. Breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out. Begin to investigate your physical present time experience, what sensations are here now, the sensations of the breath, the sensations of the posture, the body upright, contact with the chair, the cushion. scanning awareness through the body for any pleasant sensations. As we incline our hearts towards non-attached appreciation, learning to connect and sustain and enjoy the subtle, pleasant feelings that the body produces. settling into present time awareness, investigating our relationship to sensations in the body, the heart, the mind, Encouraging, inclining our mind towards non-attached appreciation. As we remember, we awaken to the impermanent nature of all things. And opening, reflecting, engaging your mind to reflect on your relationship to happiness, to pleasure. These four levels of human experience, the sense pleasures, the material possessions, and debtlessness and integrity or blamelessness. training the mind, reminding yourself. May I respond with non-attached appreciation to the sensual and material experiences. May I learn to respond with non-attached appreciation Setting your inner intention to become a more and more debtless, to have the courage to make the amends that need to be made, to express the gratitude that you feel. Live in harmony with the precepts, the intention to not cause harm to ourselves or others. Saying to yourself, may I have this kind of true happiness in my life. May I do what needs to be done. to live with this kind of integrity. May I experience true happiness. May the happiness that I experience continue and grow. Saying to yourself, may I be successful in this process of finding freedom, of awakening, of healing. And then beginning to expand from ourselves to each other. Start with the people that you talked to tonight in your small group. People here in the Sangha with you. Reflecting on the similarities, the universal nature of being human, of desiring happiness. Sending from your heart to theirs, training your mind with the phrase, may you be happy. May you have the happiness of sense pleasures, of material things. May you do what needs to be done to experience debtlessness and blamelessness. I wish this for you. May you experience joy and success. May it continue. May it increase in your life. Radiating from your heart and mind well wishes. May your happiness continue and increase. To the people sitting next to you. in front of you, behind you. All of these friends all over the country, connecting on Zoom, online, extending love and kindness, appreciation, well-wishing. May your happiness continue and increase. May you be successful at freeing yourself from suffering, at freeing yourself from debt, freeing yourself from clinging. May your joy increase. Even if you don't fully mean it yet, we're training the mind to be generous, to reflect on the happiness of others, wishing for it, supporting it, and celebrating it. Beginning to expand beyond the Sangha, our community, outward, your friends, your family. See who shows up in your heart and mind. Meet them with appreciation, wish for their happiness. Meet their happiness that they experience with support, encouragement. Allow yourself to enjoy the happiness of your loved ones. Focus on the positive. Saying to each person who comes to mind, may you be happy and may you be successful experiencing true contentment, freedom. May you experience joy, may it continue, may it increase. Beginning to expand, reflecting beyond the known, beyond our community or our friends and families, outward into the neighborhood that you live in. The city, the town, to so all of the people nearby just like you seeking happiness in their own ways. Opening the heart and mind to non-attached appreciation, to empathetic connection to the joy of others. May you be happy, experience joy and success, sensual, material, emotional, And in widening circles to the east and west and north and south, we begin to cover the whole world, opening the mind, training the mind, as we reflect on all of the joy that does exist. until we include all living beings. We include this whole planet, all sentient beings in existence met with appreciation, focusing the heart and mind on the wholesome, well-earned, skillful joys. The laughter, the beauty, the healing, the awakening. as we train our mind to meet all beings with kindness and compassion and appreciation in this world where we all experience 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows may the joy increase may the sorrow decrease. I think the last couple of minutes, just returning to your own body, heart, mind, here, So counter to our natural tendencies to really uh, meet our own experience with non-attached appreciation, to to really meet other people's happiness with uh, empathetic connection, it's not natural. Right? This whole <laughs> this whole thing that we're trying to do. Is so radical. It's why the Buddha said, hey, this whole path goes against the norm, against the stream, the normal way of being alive. First noble truth, suffering. Suffering about our own pleasures, clinging, craving. Suffering about other people's jealousy. I remind you that to to remind us all that um, when you take this path, When you commit to this path, you're committing to a very gradual and long-term process of transformation. And even though we can do the Dharma talk and you can read the book and you know what to do, meet everybody with non-attached appreciation, meet all, right? Like you know what to do, but the mind doesn't do it. It's not natural for the mind. The mind has to be trained. Those neuropathways of jealousy are going to continue. Those mind tendencies, that reactive habit, habitual tendency of the mind to be so self-centered. I mean, really, it's self-centeredness that's the main culprit in envy and jealousy and suffering about what other people taking it, other people's, ha- taking it, per- isn't it, ri- it's like ridiculous. When you think about it, you're like, I'm suffering at someone else because I'm so fucking self-centered and I'm making their experience about me. <coughs> but your mind does it all by itself. There's, you know, rather than the judgment and it's like, I, as my, just what the human, something about our survival instinct, something. It's natural, it's normal to suffer at each other. It's a little bit abnormal to be really compassionate and really appreciative and really connected to what we're trying to do is like, you're fucking weird. You're trying to be even more weird by being awake and responding wisely. It's so rare. And so hard to do. And it's possible. It's rare, it's hard to do, and it's possible to make progress towards experiencing the Dharma rather than believing it. Not just a philosophy. But and experience that we have as we do the meditations as we reorient understand that although the mind's tendency is towards self-centered and jealousy and envy and comparing how much is your mind i feel like if you just probably, even just mindfulness if you just watch your mind mindfulness how often is your mind comparing yourself to others like even when you just see people and you do you kind of size yourself up? Do I fit in? do I are they happier than me? Are they cooler than me? Are they more spiritual or are they better meditators than me? That comparing mind. the Buddha talked about it as the vanity. He said we have to free ourselves from this vanity and that vanity, this self-centered tendency of the mind. He said it's both the feeling of I'm superior, right the comparing that then says, I'm totally better than them. Or the comparing that says, I'm totally worse, less than, better than, less than. He said, even the feeling of we are equals, we are peers. He said, even that, there's too much self in it. There's too much comparing, I, you, I, me, you. The mind does it all by itself, but it's this attachment to self. And it, it confuses me a little bit because I feel like ultimately, yeah, let's go for equality. Let's go for uh, the understanding that we're all the same. We all have Buddha nature. We all have the ability to awaken. We all, you know, that's, I, I want to go for that. It's very kind of egalitarian equality and, the Buddha says, even that, there's a little too much self in it. I am the same as you. Still self-centeredness. Still, cons- I mean, I think maybe it's the least suffering kind of vanity. <laughs> So I think I uh, maybe, you know many of you have heard all of this stuff a lot of times but I was reflecting on you know part of this meditation is wishing for traditionally there's this phrase phrase of uh, may you be successful and it's one of the reasons why I started with the four kinds of happiness because you know when I say may you be successful I'm not it's saying like yeah may you successfully experience, the happiness of sense pleasures and material things, but the higher level of may you be successful as freeing yourself from debt. May you be successful at freeing yourself from uh, blameful activities. And you know, be successful at living with integrity, with with wisdom, with compassion. Really that wish for, because when you, the more you understand the dharma, And you say, may you be happy, then you know the causes of happiness. I wish for you to be happy. And I know that the causes of happiness are (laughs) non-attachment. So really, when I say may you be happy, I'm saying may you be non-attached. When I say may you be happy, I'm saying may you be compassionate towards the pain in your life and the pain in this world. So, it's not this magical thinking happiness or even the joy, you know, may you experience joy, may it be successful and may it increase. Joy comes from non attachment, joy comes from compassion, joy comes from breaking our identification with the self centered tendency of the human mind. That's joy, not just the sense pleasures. Because as we all know, Sense pleasures and material things without non-attachment create misery. How many of us got strung out, addicted, maybe even locked up (laughs) chasing sense pleasures or material things? Because we didn't have a wise relationship to them. We got addicted to intoxication. Intoxication is a sense pleasure. but You get addicted to it. It's, It's a delusional type of happiness. Material things. How many? How many of you have stolen? Right? I want it so bad. I'm gonna fucking take it. I have. It's been a while, but I have. Thinking that well, that will make me happy, and I'll get it no matter what. I can remember when I got sober, and I got sober young, um, thinking like, okay, if I'm just if I'm off of the drugs, and I have the material things, then I'll be happy. There's a material solution. If I can get the motorcycle, whatever, you know, then, and if I got to steal it, whatever. I don't, you know, I don't believe in karma. I'll just take that shit and then I'll have it and I'll be happy. And then seeing, like, oh shit, I got it and I'm still miserable. Because it wasn't the possession. It wasn't the, I didn't have any happiness of blamelessness. I didn't have any happiness of integrity. I had the misery of fear of, Self-centeredness of even with the material stuff. Material stuff doesn't work if we don't have a wise relationship to it. If you do have a wise relationship to it, it's still a low level of happiness. The sense pleasures, the material, they're too impermanent. They're too transient to really work. I don't know how many of you have had the experience yet in meditation of having, um, of experiencing joy for no reason. If you meditate enough, and especially if you go on retreat and retreat and develop some concentration, and you'll start to have experiences where, this non-material. Right? There's nothing fun happening. You're just sitting here on your meditation cushion. <laughs> You're not, Nothing delicious is happening. You're just sitting here with your knees are still aching, but there's this source of joy that starts to rise in your heart and in your mind. The Buddha called it sukha, the opposite of dukkha. Right? Dukkha is the first noble truth, the suffering which is ordinary human condition, dukkha, first noble truth. But that through meditation, that there's something in us that just unlocks this internal, non-material, and it is sensual. It is a sense pleasure. Your body feels joy. It's cellular. It's emotional. It's your mind gets light. Your heart gets, what all of those tingly and open and really interesting i remember in some early retreats when i started experiencing i was like what the fuck is this i feel high and i'm not high there's joy here i feel happy and there's no fucking reason to be happy right now at all i'm just sitting here because my conditioning was so much like well external things make me happy just focused on the material and sensual, why would I be happy just sitting here in meditation? But starts to open something inside of us, something, wisdom, open, sukha, joy starts to come. And we have to be careful, right? That's That'll happen. I hope that happens for you more and more. But again, even that meditative phenomena, when not met with, the wisdom of impermanence and non-attachment you can suffer about that you can get addicted to i want to have joy in my meditation it's not happening tonight pissed happened last night i said i was sitting just like this i had my hand like this (laughs) and now it's not here and i'm craving it i want this to feel better than it does Rather than that non-attached, you can't make it happen. But when it happens, non-attached appreciation, enjoy it. And when it's happening for others, learning to enjoy, connect with the happiness of others. Really like that. um, The Chinese Buddhist, maybe more Taoist, saying that existence is 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. I don't know if if you resonate with that, but i that reminder of like, yep, there's all of this pleasant stuff to be experienced and joy to be experienced. And that even, even with that, there's still all of this sorrow that's unavoidable. All of this pleasure and all of this pain, all of this joy and all of this sorrow. And that our awakening, what, you know, the Buddha's, encouragement meet all of the joy with appreciation non-attached appreciation meet all of the sorrow with compassion and you can walk through this life of joy and sorrow without suffering just joy passing through just sorrow arising and passing this is the goal this is what we're doing I'll, I'll leave it there. We have a few minutes for questions about this practice, about appreciation or anything around the Dharma uh, that you have questions about. If you're in the room, you can just let me know. If you're online, you can raise your hand in the reactions button. I really love the guided meditation tonight. It reminded me of some of the ones from um, the, Heart of the, the Heart of the Revolution. But it seemed new, or like a little different, with this emphasis on, uh, I guess, more happiness and success, and like what the talk was about. Do you know where I could find another like written guided meditation or one to like kind of read and practice? In the Buddhist, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of just freestyling. Ah. So there, the probably the closest from me. There'll be something like this, both in Against the Stream and in Heart of the Revolution, but it's a little bit different the way I, every time I present, it, it's a little bit different. Um, the practice is called Mudita, Appreciative Joy. So you'll find lots of teachings on it from different, from the Buddha, from different teachers' commentaries. This is hopefully recorded, so you could listen to that particular yeah. guided meditation again later if you like to. This one Last week it didn't get recorded for some reason. I'm hoping I saw in the middle of the meditation. Did you hear it? Where it said the stopped recording. Your disc is full. So, but I think it should still be able to go up on the YouTube. We'll we'll see if it makes it or not. Um, today's helped me a lot. I appreciated the part about uh, just kind of jealousy and happiness towards others. Thanks, Declan. Good to see you. I um. I wanted to say this before, I don't think I said it. Uh, I was in Holland, I've taught a bunch of retreats over there and um, there's something in their language when saying goodbye to each other that translates um, as uh, I wish you success. And that it just becomes this, instead of saying, see you later or have fun, (laughs) they say success. And it's just built into the language. And I I thought, oh, this is so mudita. This is so appreciative joy. It's just built into the language of, I wish you success. Whatever your endeavors are. Now, of course, we're always trying to, I'm always trying to reframe this like success at ending suffering in your life. Success and finding true happiness through non-clinging, through compassion. That's what I'm wishing for you. But just that internal frame of I wish you success. Not, may you get all of the money and suffer about it. But may you not suffer about whatever you get, whatever you experience. May you have success. Somebody put in the chat the. um, Star Trek, may you live long and prosper. Was <laughs> that Star Trek? That's Star Trek, right? Yeah. Prosper. All right, we'll leave it there tonight. Um, thank you for being here. Class is done by donation. All, I'll, And I sometimes forget to say this. One of the most important things I think about studying and practicing Buddhism is... Uh, the reality that you don't have to believe it, that these teachings, the meditations, all of it is for your contemplation, for your reflection, for your um, engagement with, that you get to reflect on this and be like, what is my relationship to my pleasure? What is my relationship to other people's happiness, success? Does this perspective feel like it would help me suffer less about it? You know, and that you get to take all of this and um, and you know this promise that Buddhism's not asking for faith. You don't have to believe it, but you get to check it out and verify for yourself does this lead to a greater sense of well-being, to a greater sense of happiness in my life? So I want to remind you that. Um, classes done by donation against the stream is a nonprofit 501 C3, Uh, Donations are tax deductible if that's important to you. Um, If you're here in person, you can put cash donations in the bowl or Tara um, is our volunteer who will, um, if you have a card that you wanna donate with or you can, the Venmo and PayPal are on the desk there. If you're at home, the um, link to donations is there. Jeff put it in the chat where you can do Venmo or PayPal. And if it's possible, if you like what Against the Stream is doing and you have the financial means, please consider becoming a monthly supporter rather than just this. You know, part of what we're doing is so radical. I was talking to a friend earlier, and this happens to me, uh, you know, somewhat recent, somewhat often, where somebody who's not in the Buddhist community is like, you don't charge? You teach all those people and you don't charge them anything? What the fuck's wrong with you? And it's just like, yeah, it's just not what we do. We don't charge. It's donation-based. And he's like, well, how many people donate? And I was like, I don't even want to, I don't want to do the math. That really it's more from the teaching perspective, it's more service. It's not about like fee for, it's about the generosity of, I love the Dharma and I want to share it with you. And then you get the opportunity To donate, if you appreciate it, if you can, uh, if you want this to, you know, meditation center to be here, then you support it. If you want me to continue teaching, then you support me. Uh, And that it's totally this radical, uh, non-capitalist way of interacting. Freely offered, donation-based. So you get to do that as part of your practice. It's a really, you know, it's really cool and radical that we're still doing this all of these years later, 2,600 years after the Buddha, rather than, you know, there's lots of meditation centers around where you've got to pay to go. It's become a thing. It's been monetized. You want to come meditate 20 bucks, 25 bucks, 30 bucks, but I continue to be committed to this is uh, everyone's welcome, regardless of ability to to pay. And it's part of our practice to be generous, to to support it because we want to, because you want to, rather than because you have to pay for it. So thank you for that. Next week, I think we'll do equanimity. So see you next week if you show up. May any goodness that comes from our practice be gathered and shared outward in all directions. May the happiness and joy on this planet increase. And together may we create a positive change for the benefit of all living beings. Good to see everybody and uh, see you next time. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.